So if you'd please turn to John chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 46 through 54. And when you've found your place, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he sent to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Reading the word, you may be seated. Why, when we look at this passage, why, why did Jesus have this interaction with this man the way he does? Now this man has, has come, and let's put a little portrait so we understand how far this man has come. From, from where this, this man would live, he was a, a, a ruler. He would have worked under Herod Antipas. And so he would have been a wealthy man. He would have had power. He would have had the best access to all the health care of the day to seek help for his son. But he has heard about this man named Jesus. As I'm sure many of you today have heard about a man named Jesus. And there's various reasons why we come to Jesus. This man is coming to Jesus because he is in a dire circumstance. His son is dying. And so he goes and he travels 20 miles uphill. You hear those old stories of, of your, your grandparents when they tell you, you know, when they used to go to school, they had to walk, you know, 20 miles in the snow both ways without a jacket on. This story... They add to it each time they tell the story. Those are fun to hear. But this man literally had to walk up. Um, Jerusalem was at a peak of a mountain. And so everywhere around it, if you're walking away from Jerusalem, you're walking downhill. And so Galilee um, was in a hilly region. And so where this man was coming from, he would have had to walk uphill. And that's why he says to Jesus, come down with me. Not that they're going down south, but they're going down a mountain. This is a 20-mile journey. It would not have been an easy journey for this man to make. And it's no small task that he's asking Jesus to come 20 miles out of his way to heal his son. And so he, he comes and Jesus has this interaction. Soon as he enters Galilee, remember we were with the Samaritan woman. What sign did the Samaritan woman ask for to believe in Jesus? She didn't ask for a sign. She believed him for, from the testimony that he had gave. Understand what Jesus is doing, what we're seeing with the, um, in the Gospel of John. John is showing us that the Samaritan woman, one who is not even a Jew, did not believe or believed in him. But the one who is part of Jesus' hometown would have, would have known about Jesus as he is growing up. Was, the people were there and the report went back from Jerusalem that, that Jesus was performing these miracles and he was driving people out of the temple. He was purifying his father's temple and when he comes to his homeland, what do they want? Do they want to come and worship because they believe he is the Messiah? No, they come for miracles. Later we'll look and they'll come to have their belly fed. Or they'll come to have their diseases cured. And there's nothing wrong with desiring. We all pray to God that when we are sick, he would heal us. 
and we're not able to provide for our families, we pray that God will provide us that kind of job that we can provide for our families better. There's nothing wrong in it of itself of doing that. But we see right away, Jesus knows this man's heart. He doesn't really believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He believes in Jesus as the miracle worker. And we have many professing Christians today who view Jesus in that way. He is the guy that, will, that he will heal you or he will prosper your bank account. We call it the prosperity gospel. But they're going to Jesus because he is their Lord and Savior. And so this is why we have Jesus say, you will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. So I'd have you ponder that in your heart. Are we seeking Jesus because he can give us stuff? If you're seeking Jesus for money, he's not your God. Money is. If you're seeking him just to be a doctor, you know, you're just really caring about your flesh, your physical health. In the newsflash, there are two things that are certain in this life, death and taxes. And if you know what you're doing, you can avoid the second one. You can't avoid the first one. Right. Death comes for us all. So while Jesus will heal us in a temporary state, heal us from cancer or various things, ultimately death will come. The wages of sin is death. And so we have this encounter right away. And what I want you to see here, and something I think we can all relate to and all talk about is, have you ever felt like somebody is using you? They're trying to take from you things just because you could give them to. Right? I think many of us can relate to, we, we may have somebody in our family that they, they just come to you when, you know, maybe they're a little short on funds and they, they, need, they need some money. The conversation usually goes like this. They'll call you up, come over to your house and ask you how you've been. And a few minutes in, they'll, they'll, they'll break down and say, can I borrow 100 bucks? I just need $500 to make this month's car payment. And then you feel bad, you give in to them, and three months later they're back asking for the same thing. But the moment your well dries up, that you're not able to financially provide, or whatever, maybe you can't give them a place to stay any longer, you'll find that their, their love for you isn't really there. That, that, that they've just been using you. Can anybody relate to that? Yes, we, we can relate to that. Jesus can relate to that, because he is seeing it here himself. He's... The people are coming to him for what they could get out of him, not for who he is. We desire to have relationships with one another. So when people come to us, they come to us because they care for us, because they love us. They want that relationship with us, not just because we could do things for them. I can think in my, my own life, two examples. I, I used to be in the IT world, and many people will call me up when the computer's not working. What about when your computer's working? You call me up? Some do. Some don't. I know who you are. I know we have a brother here who can relate to that, huh? And we all have those things we're good at and people reach out for us. I mean, you know, we had a brother in uh, Sunday school who, he's a very gifted mechanic and a lot of people call him when their car's not working. But they don't seem to want to pay him for it. They just want to call in that favor. You know, we, we all have lives like that. I'd like to share a story. I usually try not to share personal stories, but this one comes with a great testimony and it's well, I've gotten permission to share it. From my childhood, I, um, my dad and I, we didn't always have the best relationships. And it kind of stems from uh, one, one day, um, my parents were never married. I, I lived with my mother for a period of time. But most of my young adult life, I lived with my father. And then the, the day came where he fell in love with a woman who wanted to start a family. And she didn't see a place in that family for me. And so a day came where I dropped off at my grandfather's doorstep. And I don't see him for many years afterwards. But I do see my brothers being raised by my father. And I see my dad go through personal 
struggles and demons that, that he had with addictions and various things. I'm not doing this to beat him up, but, but to, to show you that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And many years went by, decades went by, before I would see him. And then I, I'd get a call one day that, that he was out of prison. And of course, that call was, was Lord Ron, I need a place to stay. And I said, no. And then the day they would, they would come where he'd get out on his own, was doing well, but he'd fall back into an addiction. And I'd get a call that was pretending to, it was like, how are you doing? It's been great. And I'm like, I'm doing well. Your granddaughter's eight now. You haven't seen her. He's like, can I borrow some money? I said, no. Because I know where that money's going to go. Most of you have, we, usually there's at least one person we know, if not in our family, a friend or a neighbor, that, that has gone down this road. And it's very hard for us, and it's very hard for them. And so as, as I go on and on, I, I pray to God and say, God, how can I honor you? You say to honor your father. But I find it very hard to want to honor him. And I don't want to bring God any dishonor by not honoring my father. I don't want to cut him off. But I realize that I have people in my life and you have people in your life that they, they become leeches. Where they take and they take and they take until they've had their full and then they let go until they need you again. And what are we to do about this? I will share now you know, how, how this story is, is at this point. My father, a few weeks ago, was baptized. He has accepted Christ, and he will be here this Friday, Good Friday service. I encourage you all to come. We will we'll have the gospel being preached. Amen. And so no, no longer is the conversation just, what can I get out of you? Occasionally, I do hear from him just saying, how are you doing? That's something in 37 years I've never had. And it is a wonderful thing to have. Are we where I would like us to be? Not yet. But I see God is working on him. And I realize that, you know, I've, I've tried to shine, shine the light of Christ in his life, but also been very stern with him and saying, I am not going to be that person that enables you to go down a darker road. And I think when, when we look at these things, we can look to the scriptures and say, how are we to handle this? when we struggle with these relationships. We see Jesus with this man as he, he enters into Galilee. This man comes to him and he says, my, my son is sick. And when, I, when you first read the, the text, you're like, well, Jesus is kind of being hard, isn't he here? He said, this man's boy is dying. Jesus has the ability to heal this boy. And let us be real clear what the text says. Understand who Jesus is. He's just not some prophet, not just some miracle worker. Jesus is God. He heals this man from 20 miles away. He doesn't say, okay, I'll go, and I'm going to lay my hands on him, and then he will be healed. He says, your son will be well. And as the man is going back home, what happens? He is met by one of his servants and says, the fever has broke, your son has gotten better. And he remembers what time it was. If you calculate the seventh hour, that's 1 p.m. That's the time he talked to Jesus. Jesus spoke the word, and this young man was healed. Amen? Amen? So understand it is who we come together, who we worship. Jesus is not just anyone. He is God in the flesh. Amen. He is the one who came down as a babe in human form to go to the cross to die for my sins and your sins, for my father's sins. And so when we struggle with these people in our lives, understand that they are like this man, that they are coming to you because they don't know where else to go. They're saying, we, we need help. And maybe they're, they're doing it because and they're despising you secretly, and they're like, well, I'll go to them, and I'll ask them for money. Or I'll ask them to do me this favor. But the moment that happens, you know the way the, way the story goes. 
but also we need to still be the light in their life. Christ doesn't refuse to help this man. He helps him, but he gives him a stern warning. says, you will never believe unless you see signs and miracles. But what happens with this man? He goes home and as he encounters this servant on the road and he gets back to his house, he believes. Now, have you noticed in the text, first he believes in Jesus as the miracle worker. Who here believes Jesus is a good man, a godly man, a prophet, a teacher, a healer? Who believes that he is God himself? Amen. See, what Jesus has done for this man is, you say that I am a healer, and he is right to say that, and Jesus is able to heal. But when he sees evidence, he believes Many of us in our, in our struggles, we, we go through this life and we, we see Christians. There's Christians in our lives. I was not saved until I was in my early 20s. God had put Christians in my life so that I, I would be drawn towards the light. But it wasn't until I had that encounter with Jesus Christ that I knew he was real. And all the, all the claims that the Gospels have about Jesus, they weren't just stories. I, I hear my brother and sister going down next week to Missouri. My uncle lives there. He calls it misery. It's also known as the show-me state. Many of us, especially in our scientific Western culture mindsets, we are the show-me people. Show me and then I will believe. And that is what Jesus is encountering in his home, home area of Galilee. That they need evidence. But the evidence comes through us by the fruit of our lives. If people, you know, I have my dad. Who is that person in your life? Are they seeing evidence of the fruit? Or are they just hearing you say, believe in Jesus? They need to see evidence. Amen. Very few are going to come, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you, Lord. You've, you've been so great to me, even though I haven't seen a single thing you've done. Almost all of us have required something to be done there. We require to, to see God working in somebody's lives and, and knowing that there's, there's something go, going on, there's a change in your life. This is a very hard thing for Christians, those of us that have been in church a really long time. We tend to just operate in circles that are just Christians. And so there's not a challenge for us to share the gospel with those because we believe that they already believe. But what about those people in your life that they haven't yet placed their faith? Do they really see that fruit? Do they see that change? There's many of us when we come to Christ, we, we will profess faith. And then our faith will tell our family. And if you're like me, you were probably, when you were uh, first saved, you were that overzealous Bible-thumping Christian. Guilty. Guilty as charged. That was me. And so the people I was sharing, they're like, I want nothing to do with that. Where's this grace you talk about? And God had to humble me so I would show the grace. But when people look at our lives, they should see change. When you go to somebody and tell them about Jesus Christ, can you give them a short statement that says, this is who I was before Jesus. And they, they should already be able to see, this is who I am now. Many, many of those that knew me when I first started preaching, they're like, are you sure God's calling you to preach? Are you really sure? Because we're not seeing the fruit yet. God worked on me and I had to surrender. And I pray you see it now. And so we have to examine our lives and look 
look to Jesus for that. We need to look to Jesus for more than just healing, more than just our financial wealth. We need to look for, to Jesus as the one we worship. When you come on Sunday morning, why do you come? If it's for any other reason than to worship, check your heart. If, if, you, if you come because of the fellowship, I love everyone here. I love that time of fellowship. But if that is the only reason you come, you, you are like the people in, in Noah's day. Watch them build the ark and say, that's really pretty. Can't believe Noah's doing that. He must be losing his mind. But it's great. I love Noah. I love to talk to him, but I'm not getting on the boat with him. We, we need to examine ourselves. Are, are we coming to worship? See, this man missed one thing. It is good that he came, was willing to come 20 miles because he knew Jesus could heal him. He heard what Jesus has done. Just like people should have heard how God has changed your life. They should see fruit in your life and they should come to you and you should point them to Jesus. Amen. But it, as we look at this man, the one fault he has is he comes to Jesus not to worship, not to receive him as the Messiah the Lord of all, the King of all kings, the one who is about to return and reign forever. He came to him as the healer. And after his son was healed, what should he have done? If, if Jesus, if I was that man and, and Jesus had healed my son, I realized this man is who the Old Testament said he is. This is the man that, that all the prophets from Moses have written about. And he, he has come to save us from our sins. Go and worship him, follow him, be a disciple of that man. Why follow after a, a pagan ruler named Herod when you could follow Jesus Christ? Amen. I would tell you, don't, don't follow politicians. Follow the one who will be king forever. Amen. Don't look to this world to, to provide for you. We talk about health care and all those hot button topics of the day. Your health care is Jesus Christ. Because no matter what, if you get healing from your doctors, a day will come where you breathe your last and Jesus will rise you up again. And here's something I've said here before that some may find controversial. Believe it or not, right now you have eternal life. Those of you who have genuinely repented in your heart and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, a day will come where you breathe your last and you are in the presence of Christ forever. Amen? Amen. That's good news, right? Right? That's good news, but for it to be called good news, there's an opposite side of that coin. There are bad news. If you have not repented in your heart of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what happens? You will be risen to eternal life and sent to hell where you are in this glorified body that cannot be consumed but still feels that pain very literally. You will be in the flames of hell very literally for all eternity. And so what are, what are you going to do? We see Jesus talking about a man named Lazarus who is in heaven. And, and there's a man crying out to him and says, Would you just dip your finger in water and touch it to my tongue? And Lazarus says, I cannot. There is a great chasm between us. I cannot go where you are, and you cannot ever leave where you are. And, he's, and, and the parable Jesus says, well, well, this man wants him, well, send somebody back from the dead to tell my brothers about it. And Jesus says, they will not believe, even if we send somebody back from the dead. And one has been some sent back from the dead, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he has promised us eternal life if we place our faith in him. Amen. So as, as we look...
to what we are we are to do in this circumstance when people are, are using us. I would have us use Jesus as an example. If we are able to help without being used, and Jesus tells us, do not throw your, your pearls before swine. Do not, do not go out of your way for people who are maliciously and continually abusing and using you. If you are able to help, use that opportunity to share the gospel with them. Use that opportunity to draw them closer to Christ so that they will be woken up because a moment has to happen in our lives and everyone's lives where you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And the real encounter should go something like this. That you realize that God himself is holy. It's the Isaiah moment that he had. And you realize that you are not holy. Isaiah, one of the all-time great prophets, he's going to consider one of the, the 12 um, major prophets in the Old Testament. He, he, he writes uh, 66 chapters uh, about the coming of the Messiah. He, he's the one where we read about where, where Jesus will be beaten and unrecognizable as a man. We'll be talking about him a lot on Friday. But when he is caught up and called into the very presence of God, what happens? He says, woe is me. I am an unclean man living in the midst of unclean men. He says, I am a sinner living in a nation of sinners. My lips, even that he was a holy prophet, were considered unclean. He's like, I am not worthy to, to, to speak a word in God's presence. And an angel touches a coal and brings it to him and purifies his lips. You and I, we must have that moment where we realize who we really are. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, I'm a good man. I do good things. I live in the greatest country in the world and I provide and I, and I give my 10%. I pay my taxes. I help those who are in need. And you know what that is good for in heaven? Absolutely nothing because you've talked about all that you have done. Your good works will not get you to heaven. Amen. Amen. And they're a fast path to hell. What will get you to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Because you on yourself, we are all wretched sinners. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ himself, God himself, has come in the flesh. And it's his righteousness that has been put upon us when we place our faith in Christ. It is Christ himself that the Father will see when he looks upon us if we have genuinely repented and placed our faith in him. And so when, when that day comes, it will not be... Oh, look at how great Dylan is. No, Dylan is a wretched, sinful man. But I have been saved by my Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in Him I will boast. Amen. Not in my own doing. There's nothing I could do that could be worthy to be considered with what Christ has done for us. Amen. And so that is what we're trying to do when we, when we have these people in our lives. We want to show them the light of Christ. That Christ has changed us and He could change you too. You no longer will have to come to me for, for your needs and desires, you will go to the God who is able, so much more able to provide for those things. My bank account will dry up quicker than most. You know, my, my skills are, not, are, are very limited. I couldn't change the oil in your car. I might be able to wipe your hard drive. That's, a, that's about it. But God is able to do all of it. And he has a church which he has established as his bride that has people with talents and gifts that he will freely offer you. But we, we must come together as a, as a church, as believers. And so I have one final story I'd like to share before we will we'll close in prayer. And I, I'd like to uh, credit somebody in the audience to, today, Tiffany. This, this story is from Tiffany, so if you enjoy the story, go up to her afterwards. There was a boy by the name of Steve who was attending a Christian school. In the school, a teacher by the name of Mr. Thompson had an open-door policy 
would take in any student that had been thrown out of another class as long as they would abide by his rules. Steve had been kicked out of sixth period and no other teacher wanted him. So we went into Mr. Thompson's class. Steve was told that he would not be late. So he arrived just seconds before the bell rang and he would sit in the very back of the room. He would also be the first to leave after the class was over. One day, Mr. Thompson asked Steve to stay after class so he could talk with him. After class, Mr. Thompson pulled Steve aside and said, You think you're pretty tough, don't you? Steve answered, Well, yes, I do. Then Mr. Thompson asked, How many push-ups can you do? Steve said, I do about 200 every night. 200? That's pretty good, Steve. Mr. Thompson said, Do you think you could do 300? Steve replied, I don't know. I've never done 300 at a time. Do you think you could? Asked Mr. Thompson. Well, I can try. Can you do 300 in sets of 10? I need you to do 300 sets of 10 for this to work. Can you do it? I need you to tell me you can do it. Mr. Thompson said, Steve said, well, I think, yeah, I can do it. So Mr. Thompson said, good. I need you to do this on Friday. Friday came and Steve got to class early and sat in the front of the room. When the class started, Mr. Thompson pulled out a big box of donuts. Now, these weren't normal kinds of donuts. These were the extra big fancy kind with the cream centers and frosting swirls. Who wants one of those right now? <laughs> Everyone was pretty excited. It was Friday, the last class of the day, and they were going to get an early start on the weekend. Mr. Thompson went to the first school in the first row and asked, Cynthia, do you want a donut? Cynthia said, yes, Mr. Thompson. Then turned to Steve and asked, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Cynthia can have a donut? Steve said, sure and jumped down from his desk to do a quick 10. Then Steve asked, again sat in his desk. Mr. Thompson put a donut on Cynthia's desk. Mr. Thompson then went to Joe, the next person, and asked, Joe, do you want a donut? Joe said, yes, Mr. Thompson. And um, Steve would do another 10 push-ups so Joe could have a donut. And then Joe got his donut. And so it went down the first aisle. Steve did 10 push-ups to every person, and they got their donut. And down the second aisle, till Mr. Thompson came to Scott. Scott was the captain of the football team and the center of the basketball team. He was very popular, never lacking for female companionship. But Mr. Thompson asked, Scott, do you want a donut? Scott's reply was, well, can I do my own push-ups? Mr. Thompson said, no, Steve has to do them. And Scott said, well, I don't want one then. Mr. Thompson then turned to Steve and asked, Steve, what, would you do 10 push-ups so Scott can have a donut he doesn't want? Steve started to do 10 push-ups. Scott said, hey, I said I didn't want one. Mr. Thompson said, look. This is my classroom, my class, my desk, and my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. And they put a donut on Scott's desk. Now by this time, Scott had begun to slow down a little. He just stayed on the floor between sets because it took too much effort to be getting up and down. You could start to see a little perspiration coming out around his brow. Mr. Thompson started down the third row. Now the students were beginning to get a little angry. Mr. Thompson asked Jenny, Jenny, do you want a donut? Jenny said no. Then Mr. Thompson asked Steve, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Jenny could have a donut that she doesn't want? Steve did 10, and Jenny got a donut. By now, the, Steve, the students were beginning to say no, and there were all these uneaten donuts on the desk. Steve was also having to really put forth a lot of effort to get these push-ups done for each donut. There began to be a small pool of sweat on the floor beneath his face. His arms and his brow were beginning to get red because of the physical effort involved. Mr. Thompson asked Robert to watch Steve to make sure he did 10 push-ups in a set because he couldn't bear to watch all of Steve's work for all those uneaten donuts. So Robert began to watch Steve closely. Mr. Thompson started down the fourth row. During his class, however, some students had wandered in and sat along the heaters 
along the sides of the room. When Mr. Thompson realized this, he did a quick count and saw 34 students in the room. He started to worry if Steve would be able to make it. Mr. Thompson went on to the next person and the next and the next. Near the end of that row, Steve was really having a rough time. He was taking a lot more time to complete each set. Steve asked Mr. Thompson, do I have to make my nose touch on each one? Mr. Thompson thought for a moment, well, they're your push-ups. You can do them any way you want. Mr. Thompson went on. A few moments later, Jason came in the room, was about to come in when all the students yelled, no, don't come in, stay out. Jeez. Jason didn't know what was going on. Steve picked up his head and said, no, let him come in, Mr. Thompson. You realize that if Jason comes in, you have to do 10 push-ups for him, Steve said. Yes, let him come in, Mr. Thompson said. Okay, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you get J Jason's out of the way right now. Jason, you want a donut? Yes, Steve will do 10, handed a donut and sat down. Mr. Thompson finished the fourth row, then started on those seated on the heater. Steve's arms were now shaking with each push-up in a struggle to lift himself against the force of gravity. Sweat was dropping off of his face, and by this time there was not a dry eye in the room. The very last two girls in the room were cheerleaders, very popular. Mr. Thompson went to Linda, the second to last, and asked, Linda, do you want a donut? Linda said very sadly, no, thank you. Mr. Thompson asked Steve, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Linda could have a donut she doesn't want? Grunting from the effort, Steve did 10 very slow push-ups for Linda. Then Mr. Thompson turned to the last girl, Susan. Do you want a donut? Susan, with tears flowing down her face, asked Mr. Thompson, can I help him? Mr. Thompson, with tears of his own, said, no, he has to do it alone. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Susan could have a donut? As Steve was very slowly finished his last push-up with the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, having done 350 push-ups, his arms buckled beneath him and he fell to the floor. Mr. Thompson turned to the room and said, And so it was that our Savior, Jesus Christ, pled to the Father, and to thy hands I commend my spirit, with the understanding that he had done everything that was required of him. He collapsed on the cross and died. And like some of those in this room, many of us leave the gift on the desk uneaten. So what I have you think about that. Christ has already done it for you. He has offered you the free gift of salvation. But like those juicy donuts, you leave them there. Like the unopened president of the Christmas tree, it's still sitting there. And some of you will, will face death one day and go into hell, lost for all eternity, when the price had already been paid. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has paid the price. You don't have to do it on your own. We can't do it for, for, for ourselves. We can't, I can't go to the cross because I am not God. I cannot have the wrath of God poured out onto me and have any hope of satisfying God's wrath, let alone any hope of surviving the wrath of God. We know that the wrath of God has been satisfied by this evidence. On the third day, Jesus rose again. And he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again. Don't lose that part of the gospel. He is coming again. Amen? Amen. So as I go ahead and, and prepare to close, if you have not received that gift, if you have left that juicy donut of salvation sitting on your desk all this time, don't wait another day. As, as we read in Scripture, it requires two things. That in our heart we repent of our sins. And trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's what it means to place faith. Our faith, our belief in Him is that Jesus Christ is able to pay the penalty for my sins. He is able to raise me to, to life on, on the last day. So that is what we place our faith in. So as I close in prayer, if anyone 
who would like to receive Jesus this day, come down. It would be my honor to pray with you. There's not power in the words. The power is in the repentance of your heart and your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for all that you do for us, Lord. I give you thanks that you sent your son to die for us on that cross. I give you thanks we have the great joy and privilege to come to, to you, Jesus, and to worship. Not coming just, just for things we need. Yes, we, we come, but you know all our needs. And you say you're, our Father and your Father knows them all. And he is happy to provide those as we have need, Lord. But we come to, to you alone, Lord, to, to worship you. To seek your face, Lord, for, for you have done so much more immensely than we deserve. I am a sinner who deserves the God's judgment and wrath. But you have spared me from the, the, the pits and the fires of hell. And we thank you, God. I pray if there's anyone here who needs to know you this day, they will come down now, Lord God. They will not let one more day go. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Be with us now, Jesus. In your holy name. Amen. Amen.